informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. We've got a lot coming that I'm excited about. We're going to be speaking here in segment two with Kent Backus from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about the trip he took recently to Europe to discuss ag policy issues, particularly animal ag policy issues over in that country and, well, just how those discussions are going. And in segment three, we're going to go to D.C. with Jackie Fatka, associate editor at AgriPulse, to talk about what is coming here before the end of the year in the U.S. Congress. We've got three days left to do something to fund this government following December 16th. We'll see just what they're cooking up. And we're going to close the show with Greg Solier, meteorologist on This Week in Agribusiness, about the winter storm that is really starting to ramp up to start this week across the northern plains. Before we get into all of that, however, we do see the markets moving here to start the week. Joining us for an update is Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in South Dakota. Dwayne, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. You know, taking a look at the ag markets, Dwayne, in the grains, it looks like we are almost all in the green, and it seems like we're seeing similar story over in the equities markets. Inflation, maybe not as bad as we'd thought. Is that the, the sense this morning? That is. We had the U.S. CPI number come out this morning, and it came out at 7.1%. Now, that number kind of measures inflation in the U.S. We expected a 7.3%, but probably more importantly, it was 7.7% in October. So uh, the inflation meter is a little less than before. It still shows inflation, but you know, for the first time in several, several months, you know, it's a little bit lower number than the previous month. So that really got the equity markets up and going, slamming the U.S. dollar down about 1,300 points. And then, of course, that helps just all commodities. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of green on the Christmas tree here today. <laughs> that is true, Dwayne. A lot of green. This money movement, the, the sell-off in the dollar, the push into equities, the rise in the grain markets today, is this managed money coming in? Do we have a story here in the grain markets? Um, I don't think this is a new story, sadly. I, maybe a little bit. Actually, last week, managed money dumped a lot of corn positions. Kind of scary. But the backdrop to it and what was the good story was once you dip below 650, the commercials stepped in and bought the corn market. And obviously, we had a lot of soybean sales last week to China as well. So, I think that's the bullishness I'm taking away from this is that uh, corn and soybeans have support underneath the market. Commercials are going to buy, China's going to buy if we dip below a certain value. I don't know if we have the bullish stories to just make a new upward trend from here. I think Argentina and Brazil, Argentina is already dry, but I was going to say I think Brazil is going to have to get a little dry for to really get the funds excited to buy this time of year. Dwayne, that's a great point. And as you sit here, as the trade looks at what's expected out of South America, are, are, the, are the expectations growing or shrinking for that soybean crop there? You know, believe it or not, they're actually shrinking a little bit. Part of that is because whenever we estimate Brazil's crop, we set the bar very high right away. Uh, Conab does down there their version of USDA in that country. They set it very high, so then we tend to trim back just a little bit if it's not perfect. But Brazil is sitting very good right now, so I understand. But Argentina is not. They're, it's been so dry, they've been struggling to plant the crop. Now, they did get some rains over the weekend a little bit more than anticipated, so that's partially why the soybean market got slammed so hard yesterday. But you look this morning, the forecast for the next 7 to 10 days is continued hot and dry for that country. So it, it's, it's still a problem moving forward and, and should justify a premium in the soybean market. 
Well, and Dwayne, we're putting that premium back in today. Beans up 14, 15 cents here. Nov 23 up nine. It, are we seeing this accelerate here as the, the trading day has moved on? Are traders getting more bulled up about soybeans? I, I, I think they're going to actually pump the brakes here a little bit, sadly, because you know, last week we, we failed to get through that $15 resistance on like March beans, uh, $13.95 or $14.95 in January. That failure kind of opened the door for the selling yesterday, and the buying today is great, but I don't think we got enough later in the week to bunch through it. I think what we're looking at is getting into a holiday trade where the funds have squared up their positions and we just kind of chop around sideways. But with that light volume, though, Mike, we still got to keep an eye on it because the markets could spike up or down sharply because of that light volume and, and give producers a hedge opportunity. You know, that is a great point. We do see those moves get volatile as that volume turns down. Dwayne, how can farmers capitalize on that? What's a way to, to use that in your marketing plan here to end the year? I, I guess the biggest thing is just to keep an eye on it or have your broker keep an eye on it and, you know, be in touch with them. Let them know what you're thinking. You know, if you've got old crop you're going to move soon, well, you, you get a spike up of 25 cents in beans or 12 cents in corn, maybe that's the day to do it, you know, because it seems like we're up one day and down the next in this choppy side of trade. So maybe just have your marketing targets just set out there with your local cash elevators, too, of like, hey, it gets to that point. I want to just sell it. So just, yeah, plan ahead a little. Communication is always important. Dwayne, I want to communicate with you here about the cattle market. Lower inflation could be more dollars in consumers' pockets. Is this a bullish story for the cattle trade? It should be, because it was the bearish story last week, right, was, oh, my gosh, recession's coming, demand's going to be low, so we drove this cattle market down, and I think backers had a little bit to do with that, trying to drive it down as much as they can. You know, cutouts were lower for a few days, and then were sharply higher towards the end of the week, sharply higher yesterday, up $8, so this market looks very strong to me. Uh, gap opened, but then we went down and filled the gap, now we're up that $0.60. Cents. Looks very strong and very good, not to mention this whole winter storm in some of the feedlot areas of the Midwest hitting, and it's, it's going to be a nasty long storm. So uh, maybe it could be a little weather premium, maybe get February up that 158, 159 area. Not quite that 160 you and I want to see, but we're getting closer. We are getting close, and I saw 160. We've got the futures touching that later on this spring. Dwayne, what are your thoughts here in cattle as we get further into 2023? Well, that's the funny thing. Usually when you get a bullish market, you end up being bull spread. It leads by the front. <laughs> I think this is going to be the opposite. So a lot of our seasonal spread activity that we normally do isn't going to work because of what you mentioned, you know, light supplies, anticipation of tighter supplies in the future, higher prices. So yeah, you're going to have April and June trading right at or higher than the February contract, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but it's going to continue that way forward. All right, Dwayne, before we let you go, we've seen some news here recently in the crude oil market up two, three bucks yesterday, another dollar, dollar two today. What's happening here in crude? Uh, crude is really a confusing market for me. If you look at the fundamentals, supplies are very low and we should be well above $90, but it's so politically driven and so story driven that it you know got down to low 70s here. It looks like a buy opportunity to me, but crude is it is tough to trade. And like I said, it really trades the stories and headlines. But with inventories low, i got to lean towards the bullish side for now. All right. The, the pressure could be to the upside. Dwayne, as we look here towards the end of the year, 2022 coming to a close, are there any potential news events you're watching here for a, from a marketing risk perspective to round out the year? 
Yeah, for our average producer, I, I guess I'm watching South America weather. You know, if that drought can start to creep into southern Brazil a little bit, this could get really serious. And remember how tight our old crop stocks are. That's why we found support on dips is because we don't have a lot of corn or a lot of beans or a lot of wheat in this country. So we keep talking about next year and if we raise a good crop and Brazil has record crop, prices will go lower. And I'm not going to argue that fact, but we got to raise that crop. We don't have it yet, do we, Mike? We certainly don't, Dwayne. That's a great point. Bin doors could be locked tight, too, with farmers having cash on hand, folks. That's Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota. Dwayne, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. And, folks, stick around. We're going to talk about cattle both here and across the pond with Kent Backus of NCBA when AOA returns. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here for AOA Today. Over the past couple of weeks, we've seen some headlines come out of the European Union, particularly come out of the Netherlands that relate to animal agriculture, as that country looks to be prepared to push 3,000 farmers out of the business. Well, what are the ideas that are driving that? And isn't it important that American producers share what's happening on our side of the pond as well? Well, I'm inclined to agree, and so is NCBA. And Kent Backus, the Executive Director for Government Affairs, joins us now. Recently had a chance to travel to the EU and be a part of some of these conversations. And Kent, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, happy to join you as always. Let's talk first about why you went to the EU. Kent, what was the, uh, the, the, the meeting that was happening over there? So, you know, we were asked, uh, you know, by USDA and by uh, their counterpart in the EU, which is called DG Agra, we were, uh, you know, given the opportunity to participate in a forum they have called the Collaboration Platform on Agriculture. This is something that started, uh, <clears throat> you know, a little over a year ago. <clears throat> and um, this is an effort from uh, well, basically the U.S. and the EU to try to find some ways to work together to meet and to reach some of these sustainability goals and to, and to find ways to address, you know, food security and also, uh, you know, address climate change. Now, that's kind of the top line messaging of all of it. But really, this was an opportunity for us to engage directly with other stakeholders from the European Union and to talk with them directly about the issues that they're facing uh, you know, this is you're, you're talking about a, a stakeholder group that has been denied access to production technologies, uh, who's been given a, a lot of rigorous uh, regulations and requirements that they have to meet in order to uh, to receive their, their government payments. Uh, and so, you know, we really wanted to just have a chance to kind of, you know, cut through the government uh, channels and talk directly to them. And so this was an opportunity to do that and to talk about some of the great things that we're doing, uh, some of the advantages and the efficiencies we have from using technology in our food production, uh, and also just to kind of learn from them about uh, you know some of the battles that they're fighting. So this was a this was a week long of intense meetings, uh, conversations, both uh, in a conference room, uh, in a in an auditorium, and and you know uh, and out uh, on some farms. So. It was time well spent as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Kent, and if you would fill us in on some of the challenges farmers, particularly beef and cattle producers, are facing in the EU, it certainly doesn't look like it's a friendly place to be in the animal ag business. Well, I can tell you that the EU Green Deal has a lot of their, their farmers, their producers, uh, uh, it has them nervous and a bit discouraged. You have the EU that's really focused on trying to switch to more plant-based uh, protein. And they have more incentives to, uh, you know, for the uh, plant-based proteins. And so if you're a, a cattle producer or a dairy producer in the EU, uh, you're, you're fighting a losing battle in many ways. Uh, you're denied the technologies that you, that you need to remain efficient and remain competitive. And at the same time, you're also expected to deliver these uh, arbitrary climate goals that are not necessarily rooted in science. Uh, but but you're not empowered with the research or the extension advice to, to go out and secure this. So uh, it, it's really a, a discouraging situation for a lot of these guys. Uh, you also have uh, within the that's just within the framework of the European Commission and the European Union. Uh, when you get into individual co 
countries, sometimes those regulations are even more extreme. And I think that's what we're seeing in the Netherlands. Absolutely. And Kent, at the collaboration platform on agriculture, of course, these were folks who were there to speak and, and address these issues in a professional way. But could you hear the outrage? Were the producers able to vent their frustration with uh, some of the rules and regulations in the EU? So, uh, yes. And I, I mean, we we were there to, you know, to advocate for science and to advocate for uh, all the, the production efficiencies that, that we use. But it was interesting to hear them raise questions and to hear them uh, be able to engage with us directly. It was a it was a mixed. It, I would say it's a mixed bag, though, because, you know, the European Union not only had farm groups, but they had just as many, if not more consumer groups that were present there. And so uh, it, it wasn't necessarily just agricultural focus, but where we really heard the most frustration was in the economic outlook forum at the end of the week. And that was, that was, you know, an entire day for about nine hours of presentations and discussions uh, with some, some of the leading experts in the European union that were receiving questions directly from the audience. And uh, they were also doing, you know, some of the, the word imaging uh, things up on the screen and asking producers to, uh, to comment and to, to issue one word answers. And they were not positive answers. And so, I mean, they were highly critical uh, and the government was trying to encourage people to have positive responses and there just weren't many of them. So there's a great deal of frustration and anxiety. You have a lot of producers over there that feel isolated. They feel like uh, their government's leaving them behind. They do not have support in the rural areas. And so it's everything from education to healthcare uh, to internet access. Yet they are the ones that are that are being blamed for climate change and are also being uh, told that they need to, uh, to be the ones that, that, that are going to have to make the, the most changes to, to address all these climate goals. So it was good for us to be there to encourage them to you know continue food production because food security was also a major theme. But I think it was encouraging for them to see that there is another way. And the way the United States does this is is more realistic. It's more rewarding. It's not perfect by any means, but it's a lot better than the alternative they have in front of them. It, it must be. And Kent, that's what I want to talk about is the difference between the U.S. approach and the EU approach. Because at the end of the day, the folks in power are talking about sustainability and greenhouse gases. It's a lot of the same concerns. How is the U.S. way different than this path the EU is walking down? Well, in the United States, we we rely on technology. We invest in it. Uh, and that's that's for efficiencies. It's for safety. Uh, it's for quality as well. Uh, and all of those technologies are rooted in science. They're, they're, they go through rigorous approval processes. We're not using consumers as guinea pigs. Like this is, this is all proven uh, valuable methods that we use. Uh, and the European Union is, and their, their producers are denied all of this. And it's based off of uh, subjective arguments. And so this is, there's decades of this, it's systemic. So th there is a major difference in the way that we view, that we view trade. Uh, we're also, you know, very much uh, uh, focused on the free market and on competition. And the European Union is very protectionist. And I think everybody who is listening to this is fully aware of the frustrations with, uh, with the European Union. Uh, you know, but overall, you also have a government uh, in the EU that dictates to farmers what they can and cannot do. Uh, whereas here, our government definitely listens more to stakeholders, listens more to producers, and tries uh, in many ways to help us. 
Now, keep in mind, we're always you know, critical in many ways of some of the ideas the government comes around uh, and presents, but, but we do at least have the opportunity to provide feedback and to work together with them. I don't get that sense from the European Union. So there's, there is a big difference between how we raise food and how they raise food and how government and industry work together. Kent, as you think out one, two, three years down the line, it, the way it looks now, is the EU committed to maintaining these policies? Is this an issue that's just going to, to get worse in the EU for those growers? Absolutely. I mean, the, the decision's already been made. Now they're just figuring out how they're going to implement this green deal. And I think, you know, Mike, probably the most, uh, I would say the most important thing that we gathered from this uh, from this time in Brussels and, and this time engaging directly with European European producers is that this is what we have to look forward to if we don't engage with our government. And if we don't take proactive uh, steps to advocate for science and to engage with consumers and to show up at these very important meetings, then we could expect some of the same trends to happen. It's, I mean, the, when you look at you look at how uh, activist groups, NGOs, and others are trying to influence food policy and agricultural policy in this country and other places, uh, if we're not there to defend and to promote the practices that we know make uh, American agriculture uh, superior to many other countries, if we're not there to engage, then uh, then someone else is going to make those decisions for us, or we'll represent interests on our behalf that are not our own. And so I think that's that's just a very important lesson that we should all remember. It is. And Kent, do you think they were listening when you and, and Jacqueline Wilson were over there at the conference? Were they open to the ideas of technology and, and trade? I think they're I think they're certainly open. Uh, I think they also have the reality that, uh, that, that they have to face that uh, a lot of times, you know, agriculture is not in the room when those decisions are made. And so, uh, you know, I think they are looking for opportunities. They're looking for uh, ways we, where we can collaborate on research. We can collaborate on uh, some of the applied uh, applied measures when it comes to sustainable practices, when it comes to ruminant nutrition, uh, soil health, a lot of things like that. Uh, I think we have opportunities to work together. We're certainly going to continue to engage because we see value in engaging directly with producers and representing uh, those practices that we know work here in the United States. So we see opportunity in this, and we're going to continue to encourage them uh, to work with us to try to find some common ground. Try to find some common ground and find some common sense. Over there in the EU would be welcome for a lot of those producers. Kent Backus, NCBA Executive Director of Government Affairs, joined us today. Kent, thanks for being with us. Thank you. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to check with our friend Jackie Fatka of AgriPulse about just what's coming from Uncle Sam here before Congress goes home for the holidays. Stick around for more AOA. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us today, we're going to be talking with Brian Thalman. He's the Corn Board Liaison for the Market Development Action Team. And we'll also be speaking with Denny Vinacotter, the Market Development Action Team's Vice Chairman. Denny, when we think about that Market Development Action Team, what is it that they do over there at NCGA? We are just trying to look for that next thing to grind more bushels of corn feed fuel fiber we're just trying to expand bring more value for every bushel of corn that's 
grown in the United States back to the farmer. Brian, what do you see here going forward? We're really excited to continue our partnership. We've been broadcasting in the past live from the National Cattlemen uh, Beef Association Convention. We're also going to be live at Commodity Classic this year in Orlando. This monthly grind recap is sponsored by the National Corn Growers Association. Be sure to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on AOA. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. We see commodities, grains, livestock off to a strong start here today, along with the stock market and energies. We got the CPI data out, consumer price index. The U.S. Labor Department's report showed that prices increased by 7.1% on an annual basis in November, while the core rate, which excludes volatile food and energy prices, climbed 6%. Economists were expecting a 7.3% rise in headline CPI and a 6.1% rise in core rates. So better than expected inflation data helping out the markets pretty much across the board here so far today. We do get the Federal Reserve meeting going Tuesday and that will wrap up Wednesday. We expect a 50 basis point rate hike from the Fed. That's going to be in the backdrop of the markets here as we work through the week. We did get a sale of 140,000 metric tons of soybeans to unknown destinations on the morning wire for the 23-24 marketing year. Many will assume that to be China. Now, China did step in and buy cargoes of soybeans here in the last week, 27 cargoes of beans, trying to fill their near-term shipment beans from the U.S. along with some more new crop supplies from South America. China's December shipment needs seem to be met with roughly about one and a half million metric tons yet needed to be covered for January shipment before its needs are expected to rely almost exclusively on new crop Brazilian production. We continue to watch South American weather as Argentine crop forecasts continue to be lowered amid the heat and dryness that we are seeing there. Over in the livestock trade, moderate strength being seen there in cattle and hogs. December hogs go off the board tomorrow, and that's staying pretty much in line with the cash index, while the February contract holding about a $2 premium. We see corn futures 3 to 6 higher. Soybeans are up around 10 to 15, with wheat futures up around 7 to 11 as well. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. 
Boy, looking ahead here this week, it could get interesting in Washington, D.C. Congress currently has until December 16th, that's this Friday, to get funding in place, or the government could see at least a partial shutdown. So those discussions are ongoing. There's a defense bill pending in Congress. There's a couple of hearings happening up on the Hill today. A lot is happening. And Jackie Fatka, associate editor with AgriPulse, likes to keep tabs on all of these different things. And Jackie, thanks for joining us today. Great to be back with you, Mike. Let's talk first and foremost about government funding. We need a, a funding bill here by the end of this week or a continuing resolution, Jackie, or something. What are you hearing in Congress right now? What's it look like the path ahead is going to be? You know, I, I think we definitely will not have a, a solution by Friday. And, uh, you know, this December 16th date, again, didn't jump uh, jump up as a surprise. We knew this date was coming. Uh, a lot of negotiations still ongoing. And and last week when I spoke with House Agricultural Appropriations Subcommittee Chairman uh, Sanford Bishop of Georgia, you know, he said, uh, we might not see the light right now, but he's optimistic they're going to get it done before Christmas. And so, you know, if that's the route they take, if they do just a, a one week extension uh, Friday or something just to get us ahead of next week, uh, then maybe we could see something here in the next week. But, you know, also yesterday, uh, McConnell had said maybe there's maybe there's an opportunity to just give us a couple of weeks and spread into the new Congress uh, start of the year. And so obviously with Republicans having a small margin, but still a margin in the House, uh, and, and we do have a little bit more of a, you know, coming into next year, we don't have all those members uh, up and going right away. And so, you know, you're going to have to probably have at least another month extension. So, I mean, right now I would, I would put odds on maybe we're going to put a, at least a, a week extension here on Friday, get us through, and maybe they can get that final, final stretch made next week to finalize those details of, of, what they're already a couple months behind on. <laughs> yes, that's true. Definitely not uh, not first to the party in this deal. So we'll probably see that continuing resolution. We've seen these before last year. I know we had several before we got that omnibus bill. But Jackie, once we get to that, the meat and potatoes here, that omnibus, we're talking 12 different appropriations bills that we're going to negotiate all together and then try to pass. Am I understanding it right? Yeah, so this uh, omnibus bill usually throws everything. The, the the defense part could be separated out. Sometimes they put that separate and the other ones in a, in a different uh, big bill. But yeah, I would say the, the path forward is probably all of these together, which is why you have so many just <laughs> everybody wants a piece of the pie. But part of the problem with the continuing resolution is you usually fund things at previous levels. And so you're not always able to add more in. So if you actually did an actual funding bill, then you can change those levels where a continuing resolution just kicks that can where it was at. And so it really creates a lot of problems for the agencies that are waiting on the funding. And, you know, I'm, I'm working on a piece on business and industry loans that USDA's rural development puts out. And it's it's really a struggle to 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 know where the funding's going to be. And then if all of a sudden appropriations comes in less than what it was before, you're now you've got a backlog and, and shortfalls. And so, you know, this is not a good way to fund the government, but somehow this has become the normal way that the Congress is operating. Yeah, it's certainly uh, a little bit like Lucy pulling the football. We've kind of gotten adjusted <laughs> to it. Now, Jackie, when they get into that discussion, ag appropriations will be on the table. Are there any big disagreements around that particular pile of money? 
You know, um, I think one of the the points of uh, there's an opportunity to extend the disaster appropriations for this current year. And so you could see uh, additional disaster funds being put in the appropriations process. That's that's on the table. Um, I think this would not necessarily be under the ag, but there is a kind of a Hail Mary approach of trying to get the Farm Workforce Modernization Act also in this appropriations bill. Possibly uh, dairy producers were on Capitol Hill last week making a plea to legislators. You know, this has passed twice in the House, but the Senate has not brought up their agreement. You know, I talked with Senator Crapo, who is one of the the lead sponsors that could bring something up in the Senate. And I think they're just really trying to figure out uh, to to figure out a way of uh, a way forward. And I don't know if they've, they've got enough in them, but, you know, definitely the chances of that in the next Congress goes down considerably. So there's really a lot of push here in this final stretch to try to get something on farm workforce immigration reform that would give year round access to H2A workers. Some of those changes needed on wage rates within the, the Senate proposal, if they could actually bring it up on the floor. Yeah, that would be big if that were included in that final bill. Jackie, is there any other legislation that uh, might get hung on this particular Christmas tree? <laughs> I mean, sometimes we get surprised, but I think those are are the, the biggest ones that are important to the ag industry of, of watching as we, we head into this final final stretch. All right, Jackie. Well, we've also got some things happening up on the Hill today. As a matter of fact, I know on the House side, they are looking into that FTX crypto exchange. We'll see what that does to the uh, CFTC next year. But on the House side, I know they're talking food for medicine. Cory Booker put this on. What, what's going on there on the Senate? Yeah, they, they have a hearing actually going on right now. I stepped out to chat with you and I'll jump back in after we're done on uh, food as medicine. And, um, and also later this week, there's a Senate aging hearing committee hearing on promoting healthy and affordable food for older Americans. And so, you know, definitely the role that food plays in your health and, and how you can use that for good and, you know, how our government programs encourage certain kinds of food. And I think we're definitely hearing more of that. You know, this is kind of jumping off to the White House discussion earlier this fall, their their conference that they held, uh, you know, definitely more attention to the role of food in, in our health. And, you know, that, that helps Medicare costs go down, right? You know, we have an increasing problem with higher obesity rates and diabetes. And so a recognition of the role that food can play is an important one. And I think we're going to hear more of that going forward. And, and today's hearing is, is another example of that. All right. It's another one of those phrases working into the common lexicon, Jackie, like climate smart agriculture. Saw USDA roll out some additional grant funding under that measure. And it sounds like the uh, Glenn Thompson there, the House Ag Committee, might be looking more into those programs next year. Is that your understanding? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I think... Uh, I, uh, Thompson is very critical of how USDA has used some of these funds through the CCC and um, definitely coming into next year's Congress, he is going to, to be carefully scrutinized how that money is spent, right? You know, that those money, that money is, is great money and probably used for good things, but the CCC is supposed to have money 
for farmer support. And so there is some questions of how and whether for sure those CCC funds that may be going to an organization that would eventually pay a farmer, whether that is actually how the CCC funds would be used. And so, you know, there's been some concerns on pet projects and and how that the role that USDA plays. And, you know, last week when I spoke with him, he's been very critical of just overall USDA's transparency with the with legislators. And in his new role as the committee chairman, I think he's 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 talked about how he's going to have regular meetings with Secretary Vilsack, but definitely calling on the agency to be more transparent with how they're doing things, why they're doing things, and their their process of of that as well. And so definitely more oversight coming from from Thompson as well. Well, and chair, soon to be Chairman Thompson there on the House uh, Ag Committee will have his hands full, no doubt, because farm bill discussions are going to be kicking up. Jackie, we spoke a few weeks ago and you had some reservations about the ability for this farm bill to get done by its scheduled point end of September. Is that changing at all? Are things starting to accelerate on this process? You know, I was as speaking from members of both sides of the aisle, both Republicans and Democrats continue to say they want an on-time farm bill. Um, but then you also hear Representative Thompson say how he wants to do some oversight, how he wants to have some field hearings. You know, the, the other thing, too, you've got a new Congress coming in. So even the committee makeup may not may not be known on who's on the House Ag Committee until the end of January, maybe into the beginning of February. Um, and so you've got to, education is going to be a huge deal. I mean, the goal is still the end of July to have a bill out. And when I, and, you know, we keep asking that because Congress goes on recess usually in August and, and Thompson assured, uh, you know, he said he's willing to work through August. Now, whether everyone else will join him, I think, you know, that it's going to be a really tall hill to climb to get that out on time. That's what they continue to say. So maybe by the fact that we don't have huge changes that is possible but i think there is a lot that has to be done thompson's going to have to be the energizer bunny to to accomplish all that he wants to accomplish here in the next nine months well that's a fact it is going to be a very quick run to get that to the finish line jackie are they gearing up with any meetings to start after the new year yeah so uh Representative Thompson's also actually invited everybody out to a Pennsylvania farm show on January 7th. Um, although there won't be everybody named to the House Ag Committee, he's he's invited all the current members who are there to, to join him. It's just about a couple hours north of Washington, D.C., and so there could be a good turnout. And that's actually one of the first bipartisan. It can't really actually be a, a field hearing. Uh, basically, it's just going to be a listening session. But, you know, we've had some of those, but not with bipartisan members invited. And so he's going to start that off January 7th. We could see some more bipartisan hearings as we head in. And definitely that's something that he's been critical that there's not been enough in the last couple of years on the House Ag Committee side of oversight of Farm Bill, and he'll definitely be kicking that off as, as they head into to the next Congress as well. All right, those conversations kicking off at the Pennsylvania Farm Show there in Harrisburg. Jackie Fatka, Associate Editor there at AgriPulse, thanks so much for joining us today and for giving us this update on what's happening in D.C. Definitely. Thanks so much, Mike. You bet. Now, folks, when AOA returns, we're going to be turning our focus to the skies. Meteorologist Greg Solier will join us. We'll take a look at the snow risk in the northern plains and the severe weather risk coming in the southeast. Stay here for more AOA.
through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. I'd walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. This week, we're speaking with Todd Diesel, the product manager for UAN and Ammonia at CHS for a crop nutrient update. Todd, there have been some major geopolitical events happening that are impacting crop nutrient price and availability for growers here in the U.S. Can you tell us a little bit about what has been going on and what's the impact been on the markets? Yeah, really, Mike, when I think about the impacts of this global industry we're in today, three things come to mind. Number one, the war in the Ukraine. That's disrupted the supply of crop nutrients clear back as early as February of this year, still continuing today. What that's causing is a lot of countries to reconsider what they're doing on an export basis of crop nutrients. They want to make certain that their people have an adequate supply of food. And for that, they're holding back some crop nutrients. The number two thing is the European gas again, due to the war situation, has really spiked this summer. If we look at Europe, 10% of our global nitrogen production is there. And at one time, 70% of these plants were offline. That made Europe a huge net importer. And my third bullet point would be the U.S. has become a net exporter of nitrogen, which generally does not happen. Between now and spring, these tons need to come back into the country. But right now, we're really tightening up our supply situation by shipping a lot of nitrogen into Europe. Todd, what should a grower be doing today to make sure they have what they need for spring? Yeah, the big thing that they can do, Mike, we need a plan. And if the grower can decide what they're going to plant and what they're going to need next spring for crop nutrients, that will give us enough time to get it in place. That's Todd Diesel, the product manager for UAN and Ammonia at CHS. Todd, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com.
Do you know how much one stalk of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So, you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome back to AOA. My goodness, we've been covering a lot of ground today, and there's a lot of ground today that's going to end up covered with snow. We're going to be speaking here in just a moment with Greg Solier, meteorologist at This Week in Agribusiness, about this winter storm system that is taking its way across the United States, currently dropping some big snow in the northern plains and highlighting the risk of severe weather down in the southeast. Folks, hard to believe, three days ago on December 10th, 2021, just a year and three days ago, that devastating tornado swept through Mayfield, Kentucky. We saw that devastation. Don't forget that severe weather is still very much a risk this time of year across the country. Well, joining us now is Greg Solier with the details. And Greg, let's start with this snow. Looks like it's going to be coming down across the northern plains. Who's getting what and when? Yeah, Mike, uh, nice to be with you. This is a uh, powerhouse uh, potpourri of uh, winter storminess from, yeah, not only accumulating blizzard uh, condition type snows, which we see at our moderate to heavy pace right now, Oh, they extend from about uh, Dickinson and from there southwest of the Black Hills and another separate area. Again, mind you, this system is just beginning to come together. Uh, another secondary area over the northern and western parts of uh, Nebraska, winding down across Colorado uh, and uh, west from there into parts of Big Sky. It's kind of bits and pieces, really. This thing will get going over the next 24 to 36 hours. We're just in its earliest stages of concern is around the Brookings area and down to around uh, Storm Lake Pocahontas, northwest Iowa. Ice storm warnings there are already getting some reports of uh, creating snow and ice there. And then you get into the warmer sector, 18-wheelers uh, blown off the road around the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, Metroplex. And there'll be a band of severe weather that runs through the lower Mississippi Valley Delta region, even a few strong storms into the northern Corn Belt and some soaking rains into parts of the uh, Midwest. So you name it, it's coming on down and instead, uh, which by the way, this storm is going to be with us for the next two, three, four days so you would imagine and can imagine some of the snowfall totals coupled with the blowing and drifting the drying out of the snow that'll be the story um, extending from again about the northeastern corner of colorado more so here across the central and western dakotas western and northern parts of minnesota again over the next two three maybe four days so this is just the early stages of what's going to be a pretty powerhouse uh, livestock impacting winter storm across the area yeah, Greg, that is no lie. I'm hearing some totals floated around. Like you say, it's still very early. It's a three to four day event, but I'm hearing eight, 12, potentially 24 inches of snow there in places across the Dakotas. Is that 
lining up with what you're expecting? Exactly. You know, we talked about it on uh, this past weekend's edition of This Week in Agribusiness that we'd be measuring the snow in feet. Now, mind you all, they're already across, you know, around that Bismarck area, a good part of central and eastern Nebraska, uh, Minnesota. Some of the heaviest snowfall already on the ground is already pushing 12 to 15 inches. So before all is said and done, there could be three, four feet of snow on the ground. And so, yeah, we're going to have to watch for maybe recovery, cleanup efforts, trying to get the rural routes cleaned out. That will be a problem uh, in that particular part uh, from the southwestern parts of the Dakotas, the Black Hills, if you will, northeast into the mid and upper Red River Valley of the north. And then with time shifting through the upper Mississippi Valley and western Great Lakes region, the snow amounts obviously will be down. And yes, We'll get some snowfall and even to parts of the western Corn Belt. Uh, but it is uh, that Dakota area, that uh, stripe, uh, that we are concerned with one, two, maybe close to three feet of new fresh accumulating snowfall, probably at least at a minimum 30 inches. Because, again, this is going to go through today, tonight, tomorrow. Tomorrow night probably won't wind down of the eastern Dakotas, Minnesota, till sometime early on into the weekend. Totals, or at least accumulating rates, may come down, but the wind then picks on up. So we've got the blowing and drifting. And then the southern flank, again, we've seen some bitter cold air early in the season. It's been early and often with that. That is beginning to appear on the maps and charts. And that's going to be maybe the precursor for a widespread heartland cold wave weather pattern establishing itself mid to late next week and into the Christmas holiday period. All right. Well, some folks, it sounds like, are going to get that white Christmas, Greg. And now you mentioned that risk developing in the southeast is from severe weather. Of course, a lot of the snow is being funneled by that river of moisture coming up from the Gulf. What do you expect to see along the Ohio and in the southeastern parts of the U.S.? Uh, into the Ohio Valley, the eastern through southern Corn Belt, at a minimum, probably three quarters to a buck of rain. Some of it will come down heavy. It, well, there's little, if any, frost or freeze in the ground, so there's good news with respect to dryness and drought. Yes, we still monitor that, uh, folks, uh, this time of the year, especially where the grounds are still open on up. So that's good news there. It may come down in a hurry. There may be pockets of one to two-inch downpours as well in some of those southeastern uh, Corn Belt locales, so there may be some runoff, but again, most everyone has crossed the T's and dotted the I's on field work there. That you do, we, we do shift southward, though, where the propensity for severe weather is expected to play on out. We think the epicenter is going to be down through Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, same corridor that we saw a few weeks ago. And as I mentioned, from Oklahoma City down to the Alice Fort Worth Metroplex, uh, they've had a squall line come through this morning. Some of the strongest storms are over northeastern Texas, just exiting uh, Dallas, Fort Worth at the current time. So up to about the Ohio, even in the I-70 corridor, there may be some wind-related storms that have to be watched accordingly. Again, the brunt of the severe weather, probably Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, that uh, Delta region. And then some pretty good soaking rains over the southeastern part of the country. They're just trying to, still trying to wrap up uh, cotton harvest down there. Uh, so, yeah, it's a wide-ranging storm. There's wind to contend with as well. Uh, ahead of it, nice mild air. Matter of fact, there's some record-setting warmth last week. That's still holding out to the Gulf Coast. And then you go up across the Canadian Prairie, up towards Calgary, down below zero this morning. And you put the math together, that's about a 120-degree swing of temperatures. No wonder the jet stream is buckled, the jet stream is strong. And uh, get ready, folks, on what's going to be a pretty busy uh, second half of the month of December, Pacific Northwest Plains into the Corn Belt. The system's kind of slingshot out of this Arctic air that will really begin to tighten its grip here. It's going to be more or less a January, early February, mid-winter feel over a wide area of the Plains and the Corn Belt locales, too, for uh, later next week. All right, Greg. So when that cold front moves in, middle part of next week, it sounds like it's here to stay at least until we turn the calendar to the new year. Uh, and, and well, yeah, maybe some maybe some relief. But uh, as we talked about on you know on the TV show with that long range outlook, 
I, you know, I, we may get some, you know, moderation of the cold. Uh, we may get, a, you know, our usual January thaw in some areas of the plains and Midwest. But I think it's, and we know it gets cold and we know we get ice and know we get snow. But it may be a little more of a character building uh, winter season in these same plain states and Corn Belt uh, areas this year. So if you wanted drought relief, it's coming <laughs> at the wrong kind, uh, precipitation type, but it is going to be drought relief. And uh, we'll have to keep an eye on maybe some spring uh, snow melt and flood issues because of what tr could transpire to be a very wet spring as well. So yeah, we're kind of uh, bearish on anything regarding early field work, livestock operations, the whole nine yards. A good idea if you folks can keep up with us here this winter season, we'll keep you up to date. Ah, that is fantastic. Greg Solier, meteorologist on This Week in Agribusiness. We'll talk to him this weekend. And Greg, thanks for joining us today. Anytime, my friend. And folks, stick around tomorrow on AOA. We're going to dig into the markets. A lot is moving. Walter Kunish will be with us as well as Arlen Suderman. Folks, we look forward to talking to you then. Thanks so much. Have a great day, everybody. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us today, we're going to be talking with Brian Thalman. He's the Corn Board Liaison for the Market Development Action Team. And we'll also be speaking with Denny Vinacotter, the Market Development Action Team's Vice Chairman. Denny, when we think about that Market Development Action Team, what is it that they do over there at NCGA? We are just trying to look for that next thing to grind more bushels of corn feed fuel fiber we're just trying to expand bring more value for every bushel of corn that's grown in the united states back to the farmer brian what do you see here going forward we're really excited to continue our partnership we've been broadcasting in the past live from the national cattlemen uh, beef association convention we're also going to be live at commodity classic this year in orlando this monthly grind recap is sponsored by the national corn growers association be sure to tune in the first wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on aoa Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more.